Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a good week. Well, this week's episode is really special. It's what I've been talking about for quite some time since we've all been watching this season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and watching how Crystal is navigating her eating disorder with these other women and how they've reacted and responded to her. And I've said for a while, I really want to talk to someone who is an eating disorder expert and be able to ask some of these questions about language to use and and how to be a good friend to someone who's experiencing something like this. And I found the perfect person. Alyssa Mass um, is a licensed therapist and she specializes in eating disorders. And so today's episode is a conversation with her. A few quick notes about the episode. The first is I did have COVID while I was recording it. So apologies if my voice was a little off. It's still off. I don't know how long it's going to take to return to normal, but I'm trying to rest it as much as possible. Um, Also, just like the housewives, I sometimes say the wrong things too. And I believe that in recording this episode and some of the things I said, I, without in you know, intention, you know, perpetuated stereotypes about people with eating disorders, specifically comments I made about Lisa Rinna and her being very thin. And, you know, that's sort of what I viewed um, eating disorders sort of to look like. But um, uh, Alyssa very kindly sort of called me in on this and sort of let me know that there really isn't a, a look to, to people who are experiencing, you know, these illnesses. And I think that that is kind of a common misconception and why I think maybe some of these women are sort of overlooking what's happening with Crystal, because it's not as painfully obvious to the eye, right? Um, and Alyssa is just so fantastic. She does training for other therapists on this issue. And I feel like I learned so much. I hope you all learn a lot. And I feel like this is is just such an important conversation because it's not just about housewives. It's about um, how eating disorders are dealt with in our culture, how they're dealt with by therapy, how they're dealt with by medicine. And it turns out not very well. Like there is no training on how to support people or treat people who are experiencing disordered eating in classes to become a therapist or in medical school. And that's something I didn't realize until talking to Alyssa. So I think you guys will find this conversation really informative. I ask you to give me a little grace <laughs> if I was, you know, saying the wrong thing and I'm I'm learning and I think that's all we're trying to do, right? We're trying to learn, and I I feel like I learned a lot this episode, so I hope you guys enjoy. As always, if you uh, like this podcast, give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review, and if you have any comments for me, you can reach out directly in my DMs at Mandy Slutsker on Twitter and Instagram. I always love hearing from you. All right, guys, we'll take a quick break and then back with Alyssa Mass. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Alyssa Mass, who is a licensed marital and family therapist. Um, she works with clients of all ages and backgrounds, extensively working with clients to overcome anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. So I invited her here to talk with us about 
eating disorders, and specifically what we've been seeing this season on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So how are you doing, Alyssa? Like, how are you watching Housewives a lot? What's been going on? I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here. I love this topic. Um, It's very near and dear to my heart. So particularly when I see it come up on these types of shows and it creates a conversation around it or the opportunity for that conversation, um, it, you know, is clearly my interest. And so having you reach out and say, hey, let's talk about this, like, you know, couldn't have made me happier. Um, so I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I've been talking about it every week, how I'm like, something is off with this. Uh, because we've seen Jackie Goldschneider on The Real Housewives of New York tackle anorexia. But in her situation, all of the scenes in which she discussed her eating disorder were with her husband or with her therapist. And there weren't many scenes where we really saw her with the other women. And it didn't really give them a chance to talk and judge. Although I'm sure they've always spoken about her in a certain way, just because she Mm -hmm. never ate when she was with the group and everyone else Mm -hmm. was eating. Mm -hmm. But to see Crystal this season, it Mm -hmm. seems like it's such a a topic of conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I don't blame the women because one, if you're concerned about a friend, you do usually talk about them, usually not directly to them until you know what to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm like, okay, I could see. But there's been so many cringy moments. Yeah. <laughs> and I would love to hear from you more about how can friends support someone who is grappling with either an eating disorder or some form of disordered eating. So I guess my first question for you to kind of set the stage is, mm-hmm. are eating disorders or disordered eating a spectrum, would you say? Absolutely. Yes. And I think it's a huge misconception that it's not. So I'm so thrilled to have you ask the question in that way, because I think they get missed because of this idea that a lot of people have or an image or whatever preconceived notion they have of an eating disorder either has to look a certain way, that there's only a certain type or a couple certain types of an eating disorder. I would say primarily what I deal with in my practice is that continuum of disordered eating. Um, and we can get into the definitions of like what that is as much as you want to, but, um, yes, to answer your question, there is a huge continuum. So how would you define disordered eating? So first of all, well, before I define disordered eating, I'm going to say, let's talk about eating disorders first, because Mm -hmm. the first thing I really wanted to say is I think one of those preconceived ideas that people have is that an eating disorder is based on the behaviors of the eating disorder. In actuality, an eating disorder is a thought disorder. It is characterized by behaviors. Those behaviors are symptoms of something else. Those behaviors are a reaction to thoughts. So that's the first piece that we have to understand when we're talking about about eating disorders. We call them an eating disorder, right? And so I understand why people think that. There are behaviors that are very concerning to people you know, and jarring to hear about. And so again, I understand why we get stuck in that, but that's not how it started. Um, And so when we're talking about treatment, of course, we're looking at those behaviors and what are those, but we need to go to the thoughts and where those started and and what happened, Um, where those thoughts are going awry to create those behaviors, to cause those behaviors. Eating disorders have been defined really by the DSM. Like that's what we have to go back to is that's ultimately where most people pull their definitions from. The DSM is a fabulous resource. I don't I don't knock it. It's for insurance. Yeah. And so, it used to be and this has changed from the DSM-5. But the DSM-4, for example, for anorexia would say to qualify as having anorexia, you have to have lost your period for a certain amount of time. To qualify for bulimia, you have to binge a certain amount, or I'm sorry, you have to purge a certain amount. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was like, you have to binge three times a week. Let's say what it was, right? So I, I used to joke when I would, I used to train people who were wanting to go work eating disorders. And I would joke, like, if you're binging once a month, that's still, I'm sorry, binging and purging once a month, that's still a problem. 
right? Like we don't want that happening, right? And so that's where I go to like, that's disordered eating behaviors that we want to look at. And so when we're talking about like an eating disorder, it's going to be more of an insurance question. And for me, disordered eating is how much of this is impacting your life? Are you, and and we're going to go back to those thoughts. When I think of a disordered thought around eating, let's say, for example, it would be something like, if I eat that cookie, I'm a bad person, right? If I eat that cookie equals something about my value or my worth is wrapped up in that. If I don't work out today, I'm a disgusting, lazy pig, right? And these are things that I hear all day long, like when I'm I'm working people. So, you know, I'm using things that I hear. But Mm -hmm. so that to me is a disordered thought pattern. I see. And then when people take that thought pattern and they apply it to behaviors around eating, such as withholding food or purging food or purging via too much exercise, right? that's when it kind of, you know. And typically what I would say happens is I'm having these thoughts. I need to stop them. I need to prevent this from happening. These thoughts are too much. I'm going to manage the thoughts. And so I know you, I know this is a podcast, but I do this when I, when I lecture about it, I, I, if you hold your hand in sort of like a ball, let's say like this, we say, this is the problem, right? If you hold one hand like this, we're going to take our other hand as an open palm, put it over that fist. This is the eating disorder. The eating disorder came in to help with the problem. Now what happens over time is you weave your fingers together. Everything's intertwined. That's what makes them fascinating to work with. And that's what makes them very difficult to deal with. Because once we take away one coping mechanism, hold on, that problem comes up. And the longer they're entrenched, the harder they are to dismantle. So I've always had this be my coping mechanism. What do you mean? And usually that coping mechanism came in for a really, really, really good reason. It usually started out as like, this is my friend. This way of dealing with things is here to help me. I feel better. When people come to treatment, it's usually because that has gone awry and it's no longer serving them. Got it. So in terms of language, because I feel like I don't have the tools to talk about it, Mm -hmm. and certainly the women on Crystal's cast don't seem to have the tools to talk about it. (laughs) What are the words, the, the language that you use to discuss the types of behavior? So like, is it okay? I don't, and, and it, not okay, but like people seem to be very turned off that Dorit said, oh, she's vomiting every day. Is the word vomit like, I, know, I don't know. I it, that, that it really interesting. Jarring. I, I didn't see anything wrong with what Dorit said. I think vomiting makes people uncomfortable. Right. I think eating disorders make people highly uncomfortable. Again, something I always say, you can walk into a party and somebody will say, I'm 10 years sober. And people will say, congratulations, that's incredible. Try walking into a party and saying, haven't vomited in 10 years. No one's going to say congratulations to you. Yeah. So I think when she said that, it's just not a word that we use. It's a behavior that freaks people out, um, that makes people have that cringy reaction. Um, I don't think she did anything wrong. In in treatment, I reflect people's languaging. I mean, I'll say that if people come to me and they have certain terms for it, I'm going to use those terms and, and reflect those back to them. There may be a moment where we're going to discuss, like, if they don't want to use the word vomiting, at some point when I have that rapport there, we may have a discussion around why the word vomiting is really difficult for them. Um, you know, and what is the meaning behind that? But I, that isn't really something that comes up that often to be often. I mean, to be honest, I feel like most people will use that. And so that brings me to something that Crystal had said to Sutton is that she said she forgets because it's so normal to her what's been going on with her disordered eating that it's hard for her to remember that it's not normal for other people. So they find all of this very jarring and they feel like, wow, you know, Crystal's 
eating disorder has reared its ugly head again. And we, you know, she needs to take action now because, you know, whereas I feel like it seems like it's something that she's been battling for a while. And I was talking to you before we started recording that I always find that women who end up on housewives who have eating disorders as part of their history, they love to say it in the beginning because it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to come out and say it before people can say it about me. Mm -hmm. With Crystal, it wasn't, I guess, to me as obvious in her physicality. Like Mm -hmm. she didn't look overly skinny or the way that, for example, Jules Weinstein did. Mm -hmm. She, Jules looked uncomfortable to watch she was Mm -hmm. so tall and so thin and then one of the first things she says is i'm in recovery for an eating disorder you're like recovery you know and then (laughs) jackie goldschneider did the same thing i'm recovered from being anorexic and for me when someone comes out with that i'm always thinking they're just trying to say it before we can say it and how much is really recovered and can you really be in recovery? Or is it something that can relapse? Is it some, you know, how do you look at it? I think there's a continuum of recovery as well. I have absolutely seen people who have recovered. This is behind them and they have moved on with their lives. And this isn't something that comes in and out for them anymore. It's not, it's not their baseline and it's not how they deal with things anymore. Um, again, I think there's a continuum there. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of people also my definition of recovered may be different than somebody else's. And so that's also part of the conversation, right? And when you're watching somebody like Jules, let's say, like, I don't know what her definition was. I don't know where she started. And so for her, like, she may have really felt the way. I get people often who come, I would say, sort of like late stage recovery where I'm doing well. I was in inpatient But now I'm noticing, like I felt like I was recovered, but I'm sort of noticing these things I do and I'm wondering if that's still the ED, you know, and sort of these like, I mean, I I love that moment. Um, That is often the hardest stage, I would say, um, of the recovery, right? Of like, I'm noticing that like I go out with my friends and I eat, but I only want to order like this one thing on the menu, And I'm not, I'm wanting to be able to feel more relaxed around it, right? And so, again, we're going to get to, like, what's someone's definition of of recovery and how is this impacting their life? When I get a client like that, it's because this is coming up consistently for them Um, and they're noticing it. So, I, you know, I, I, there's a medical piece to eating disorders that recovery is, like, a fair conversation of just in terms of, like, weight restoration, uh, that you're going to see in more of like a hospitalized setting. Um, less so, I would say, even in intensive outpatient. But in private practice, I think it's somewhat more self-defined. I mean, I would like to see someone recovered without the behaviors there, right? Like if you're binging and purging, I'd like the purging to be gone. I'd like heavy restriction to be gone. Mm-hmm. Um, is someone who considers themselves recovered maybe not going to order like a jumbo popcorn at the movies or something. Probably not. You know, there's still maybe some rules around there and some thoughts, but again, we're going to go back to the thoughts. Like what are the thoughts around what's going on? What are, where's that like self-worth self-value piece in the recovery? Does that answer your question? Yeah. That's really interesting. I wanted to talk through some of the really cringy and uncomfortable moments that we've witnessed this season yes. and get your thoughts on each of them. And then have you share your thoughts on ones maybe I didn't notice. Sure. Um, the most obvious is probably when Erica Jane was talking to Crystal. And yeah. I think in what was perhaps an attempt to relate said, mm-hmm. oh, well, I would rather just take, the la- take a laxative and right. get it all out of me. Right. And a lot of people were saying, wow, it's so terrible to bring up use of a laxative to someone with an eating disorder. Yeah. What, what's your reaction to that? I mean, I didn't think it was a great comment, but I also will say, one, I think 
there's plenty of reasons that everyone wants to jump in Erica Jane right now, no matter what she says. So I guess sort of thought it was a bit of that. I also, I did feel like she was trying to relate to her in that moment. I didn't think it came from a place of cruelty or anything like that. I think she truly was like, like, again, like this total disconnect around eating disorders, disordered eating, like it was just sort of this normal thing. It felt much more a reflection to me of probably Erica's relationship to food than anything to do with Crystal. Um, it, it was interesting because that that comment got so much play. And again, I think it was more shock value of like, oh, we can't say that. You know, nobody is supposed to say the word laxative. Um, I, I, personally, I found that conversation with Kyle to be so infinitely more offensive Okay, let's let's jump into the conversation. That, with what, Kyle. Like I, I couldn't even like Crystal I, Erica. I was just like, all right, we all know that was bad. It was so egregious. Well, Fine. maybe it was more of Erica's disordered eating. That, that was my take on yeah. it. Um, you know, I that. But again, I mean, I'm kind of someone who is probably like looking for that too. Sort of like, why would somebody say something? And I think that's just like force of habit for me of where is that? Where would that statement come from? And just to make it clear to those listening. Taking a laxative just to get food out of your body is disordered. Yes. Disordered. Okay. Yes. Just that's yes. what <laughs> one million percent. Yes. I think a lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, whatever. It's just a laxative. You just take a laxative." And I think there's a lot of uh, I don't know. There's certain. It's just like with drug use. There's certain behaviors that everyone sort of knows are abuse. And then others that people are like, oh, yeah, everyone does that. That's a a great comparison. You know, and so it's like, oh, it's no big deal to do cocaine when you're in your 20s and you're at a bar or a club. But to do it before work or to do it uh, first thing when you wake up or, you know, to hide it. We create these ideas around what's acceptable and what's not. And I think it's absolutely the same for disordered eating. You know, and then it's Like like... if you use a needle, then it's really a big problem. It's like there's so many people who have addiction to heroin who smoke it because they're so afraid. They're like, well, I don't have a problem if I'm not injecting. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of people who are like, well, if I'm not vomiting, then this isn't bulimia. This is just me. I think that's absolutely getting whatever is in my body out of my body People, they wouldn't sell laxatives. I don't laxatives. feel well and I want to get this. I, I ate yeah. too much and it's uncomfortable, so I'm going to get it out. Right. And it's like, oh, they wouldn't sell laxatives at Walgreens if it was so dangerous, would they? Well, they sell Oxycontin <laughs> at Walgreens. <laughs> the directions on the laxative box don't say take these if you're like overly full. Right. Right. Like laxatives are meant for like heavy constipation, not I eat, I overeat. Exactly. So okay. They can also be highly addictive um, and really mess up your entire body system and, and make it much harder to then go to the bathroom when you need to. Oh, so they're so bad. I, yes. I once took a laxative um, after abdominal surgery because the surgeon was like, listen, I want you to take, you know, milk of magnesia. Well, you like painkillers and probably, so it's probably. I wasn't yeah with painkillers and plus just like the fact that it was like part of my abdomen okay (laughs) you know so Uh she was like I usually um if you're not having a bowel movement like 48 hours after and I was like just close to 48 hours I was like well she said to take it let me take half a dose oh my god it was awful (laughs) yeah I mean literally never again (laughs) not not for recreational use So when people were talking about that casually, I was like, how do you do that casually? That was what like, are people talking about? So, and especially after you had like painful surgery, it's like not yes. fun. To have to well, to I will say too, when people, what I see with a lot of like laxative misuse is people learn how to use them. And so they'll time it a certain way or they'll know exactly uh, the dose, which I'm guessing you didn't know. Like, okay, I'm going to oh, need yeah. to be here on this. But like, there's a lot of thought and planning and strategy around it um, when I see them being used for inappropriate, you know, like not um, off-label uses, I'll say. Got it. So you mentioned that what Kyle did was so egregious. Could you walk us through what Kyle did? like the public grilling 
of crystal in the social setting and like how many times you do it and what do you eat? And is it this? And is it like, is it because you're feeling this way or that way? Like it was so nonstop. It was, you have put her in the spotlight that she didn't ask to have this conversation. Kyle decided to have this conversation. There was no moment where Kyle was like, Crystal, are you okay with me asking you these questions? There was not a moment of that. It was just, I am going to rapid fire every question at you. And I felt like she really sort of, there was this like, well, I've dealt with this. So therefore it's okay for me to ask. It was the most inappropriate setting to ask. There was, I didn't feel like there was any concern in those questions. And maybe there was, you know, I, I, and maybe it was just because of the setting and the, again, just like the rapid fire questioning of her where I just felt like, God, if there's something not to do, it's that. Um, Interesting. I, I, it like truly made me want to jump out of my skin. Um, and I, it was almost worse because she was like, it was like, well, I've had this experience with it. It was like, then could you be a little more sensitive? To right. People like to use those types of um like a good example is the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial with so uh-huh. many people who are like, oh, well, I'm a victim of domestic mm-hmm. abuse, so I know what that looks like. Meanwhile, you don't know who these two people are. You don't know much right. about them. You've seen them in movies. You know what's been released to the media and released to the jury, but you don't know what's been hidden from us as well. No, and so there's a don't. lot of judgments like, oh, because I experienced this, I then know what it looks like in other Well, there's people. this like there's this idea, right, that like since I had it, yours is the same. Right. I have yet to meet two eating disorders that have ever looked the same. And they're everybody's way and reason and, and behaviors around it are always different. How people manage situations, it's always different. Everyone has their own like you know, recipe of the situation, you know, how they're, how they're, how it's playing out for them, I would say. Um, There's certainly similarities around like when it started, what tipped it off, things like that. Okay. And there might be some like overarching themes that are similar, but the specifics that Kyle was asking about are usually really different for people. Interesting. Uh, And, and just also this idea, I think I also felt like with Kyle, like, you went through this and you're on the other side and that's fantastic. But you're talking to someone who's in the middle of it. And so to ask them these questions, you can talk about it apparently very like casually and freely because you're in that space now. But can we take a moment and recognize that perhaps when you were in the midst of it, it might not have been as comfortable for you to talk about. Um, And so right now, like we're looking at Crystal as someone who's saying like, this is presently going on for me. I am in the thick of it. And that is a totally different place to be in, to be talking about it. She's not reflecting on this experience she had 20 years ago. So Kyle is so interesting because she seems to have this this issue on the show where if someone didn't tell her directly something, then it must not exist. Or, right, like when Sutton didn't tell her that she had two miscarriages, therefore Sutton could have never had miscarriages just because she didn't tell Kyle. Like Kyle assumes Hmm. that if she knows someone that she's going to know everything about them. And I think something like eating disorders, people are so clever at hiding it. They've gotten away with hiding these behaviors for so long because they're not acceptable in society, and so, or some of them aren't, and so to fit in, you you hide it. So of course you wouldn't know, or we, we assume that we would know what it, when someone was really struggling, but we we don't. And Kyle seems to have such an issue with this. She also had an issue with the fact that Crystal posted it on Instagram, and I don't understand why that seemed to trigger her. Like, Crystal was like, hey, I'm just being honest. I'm really Uh struggling with, you know, the holidays and my, you know, eating problems. And this is how I've been feeling. And I think Kyle's kind of like, well, that's a cry for help. Or are you lying? Like, I don't know. It's really unusual. I think that's the piece that, like, I just found very offensive. I was like, that's a cry for help. Like, 
one, that's just such a judgmental statement. And we live in a time of social media. If someone is, feels maybe, maybe it was a way to open the door to that conversation. Maybe she's looking for support somewhere. Who cares? Right? Like if you see a post like that, rather than saying, rather than like grilling someone in front of a million people, send them a text, call them, be like, hey, I saw your post. I just want to check in on you. That's all. That's, I mean, that's all you have to do. You know, you don't need, Kyle's not a therapist. You don't need to like, have a, which, what she did was not ever what would happen in the therapy session, but to grill her, I think, I, I think what you're talking about, like, there's so much secrecy around eating disorders and yes, of course, some of that is like, it's not socially acceptable. Again, I think a lot of us don't talk about something really hard going on in our life when we're going through it. It's, that's really hard. That's usually when people come to therapy. There is also enormous, enormous shame around eating disorders and what we call toxic secrecy. And so this holding on to secrets, like it is for most people who are heavily restricting, purging, taking laxatives, there's an enormous amount of shame around actually doing those behaviors, engaging in those behaviors. And so to really, I just feel like what Kyle was doing, it was, it was exposing someone in such a public way. And I think like for me, those conversations that I have with clients where I ask very, very specific questions and there's a way to go about that in a private arena. Um, And if it's a friend and you're asking, you know, okay, fine. She's not a therapist, but even if you want to ask those questions, there's a way to do that with sensitivity and kindness um, and not this like exposing, exposing way where I just felt like she put Crystal on the spot in this moment. And Crystal posting it on social media was not Crystal saying, I want to talk about every single detail. I mean, somebody might say not, you know, maybe this is an apples and oranges comparison, but somebody might come out on social media and say that they were maybe like sexually assaulted, right. Or something like mm-hmm. that, but they're, they don't necessarily have to detail every detail of it on social media. And they might say like, I'm experiencing this very big thing right now that I'm going through. They don't owe anybody the specifics or the details of that. Right. So I, I just, I don't know that, that scene, the more I'm thinking about it. So for those of us, if we were friends with Crystal, yes. what would you recommend we do? And, and let's say there's no cameras around, right? Okay. So let's say <laughs> if we have a friend that has either opened up to us that they are experiencing some sort of disordered eating, or we notice it, in general, like you've been friends with someone long enough, you kind of can can see when certain habits start forming uh-huh. or when behaviors change. What's a way to be a good friend to someone? I think that's a wonderful question. I think it's something people really struggle with knowing how to respond. And I think that's part of what we do see on the show is that people don't know how to reach out or what to say. Um, again, like I said, I think if someone were to post something like that, right, like sending a text hey, I saw your post. I just want to check in on you. I'm here if you want to talk. If you want to be that person, though, I want to also state that. Like, if don't say I'm here if you want to talk, if this isn't a topic that you feel comfortable talking about. And that's okay. Right? Like, we don't all have to, like, be our friend's therapist or take in more. Like, if that's a triggering topic for you, maybe that doesn't feel like somewhere you can go with someone. That's okay. Know your own boundary. You can still say, hey, I saw your post and I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking of you or, hey, I saw your post thinking of you and I hope that you are getting some support. You know, I hope that you're getting the support that you need. You know, something like that. You don't need to open up the conversation if it's not one that you feel you can have. Um, I, I mean, that would be the first thing I would I would say yeah. to do. If you're noticing something, maybe you're noticing someone's behavior. Again, I think a private conversation, and I mean, we're not, you know, housewives isn't private, so I get it. But um, don't do it in a social situation. Don't like corner someone. Don't force them to talk about something they might be really uncomfortable with, um, that they might be really struggling with. So, and I think just like a private moment of like, hey, I noticed when we're going out to dinner that you're not eating. I just, I just want to check in. I just want to like make sure we're doing okay. And just, you know, I, you don't need to talk about anything you don't want to, but I'm, you know, I care about you essentially. Right. 
Like you don't, I, I think as friends, like we don't always have to solve someone's problem. That's a really, uh, sometimes we're not equipped to. <laughs> that's a really important point. So we don't always have to solve the problem. And a lot of times we're not equipped to. What's interesting that we've been seeing lately is Lisa Rinna, because she dealt with her daughter, Amelia's uh, mm-hmm. eating disorder. I think she feels like, well, we just went through this. I can be helpful, maybe. But she also seems to have this idea that if you're going to seek help, this is the one way to seek yep. help. So um, I guess, could you talk through what some of the different ways to seek help are? Crystal has said that she is in regular therapy, has been in regular therapy since her teen years. Um you know, what are the different types of support that you could get for uh, an eating disorder? So obviously therapy. Um, there is nutrition support you can get for an eating disorder. I would say to that, if you are going to seek out working with a dietitian, um, seek out someone who works with eating disorders. Yeah. Uh, that's the biggest, biggest piece I would say is – make sure that that's where their experience is. And there's a lot of wonderful dietitians out there, but they just don't all work with eating disorders. Right. Um, there is meal support groups that you can also find. Um, I used to do a lot of that. I still do some of it. Um, so you're actually like eating with someone essentially. Um, and sort of, you know, talking it through before, during, after, um, so, I mean, those are sort of like the therapeutic mm-hmm. elements of support, I would say. Um, again, it's not going to look the same for everyone. And I feel like that's where Lisa's coming from is like, well, Amelia did this and she's fine now. And so you need to do this and this and this. Like, it's not prescriptive. Recovery is never linear. There's all sorts of ups and downs. It is not A plus B equals C. There is a road to get there. I will say my experience very often it gets worse before it gets better mm-hmm. um, because I think when we begin to talk about some of those underlying thoughts and we're now experimenting with some other coping strategies, it's that ED is going to get louder and louder and louder. Um, and so, and we know that in recovery, you know, we know like that's going to happen. Um, I think often what I see, I, I can't speak to it like statistically. I would say anecdotally what I see is when people come in for treatment, there's a little bit of a high of like, oh my God, yay, I'm going to like really do this. And there's a period of time like that. And then there's a bit of a crash of, whoa, this is like way harder than I thought it was going to be. It's not linear. It's not easy. And then there's a slower, like up, up to swing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Upswing. Thank you. So, um, you know, I mean, that's a, like, that's like a general pattern. Like, I sort of watch that in treatment with people. Um, and it's, like, a standard. Right. Okay. Standard okay. process, I would say. Yeah. Um, th- again, did I answer your question or did I? Yeah. And, well, I was saying about, like, different types of treatment. So, Crystal has said that oh. she she hasn't done inpatient. And you know, are there times where are there different types of inpatient or outpatient you know, care? The other thing I wanted to say is that there are all are lots of different therapists out there. Like, just like I said, there's a lot of wonderful dietitians. The number one thing I tell people always find someone you feel comfortable with, find someone you feel at ease with. Um, that's going to be the, the biggest factor in recovery. Okay. Um, and so I think, you know, sometimes it'd be like this person worked with this person or they went here and like, try it, you know, like talk to different people and see where you feel that like, this is someone I can really be myself with. I can have this conversation with. Um, yes, there are different types of therapy. There is, uh, you know, a, a private practice or through insurance, you know, sort of that typical once a week therapy that you hear about. Um, from there, there's intensive outpatient and there's all sorts of different programs. So it's going to depend which program you go to. Typically what intensive outpatient means is you go for a certain amount of hours a day. So for example, I used to work in intensive outpatient and our clients would come, I'm going to say like three o'clock to eight o'clock, four days a week. Okay. Um, and so it's like a really concentrated period of time and there's a team involved. So they would come in and they would, I think they started with process group, 
then they might do some sort of like art therapy activity. Then they'd come and eat dinner together as a group. And then we, there would be a group after that um, to sort of like talk about, talk about what dinner was, let's say, um, you know, or anything else kind of going into the next day. So, and then they all have individual therapy as well. Um, but like I said, they're all like, there's different hours, there's different types of programs, depending where you go. Um, from there, there's residential. Residential usually is, usually there's like more of a medical reason, I would mm-hmm. say for someone to be in residential, they need to be under a physician's care at all times. We would often get people when I worked in IOP is intensive outpatient. When I worked in IOP, we would get people what they call stepping down from residential. So they've reached either like their weight, you know, weight restoration. And now they're going to come. They're not really ready to like enter back into the world. Like once a week is not going to be enough. Um, and so we want to sort of gradually step down. Sort of like sober uh, living after exactly. rehab. That, yeah. It really is. And so, because imagine if you're going into hospitalization and then you're going to just like go back home and now you're going to work and with food, everyone's going to talk about it all day long around you. Like you do kind of need to figure out like, how do I manage this within my life right. now as I'm living my life and these things are coming up and I'm, you know, hearing this or in this scenario. And so I think that's where intense vocation can be really wonderful and, and just very powerful. Um, we would occasionally get people, I'd say like, so either people stepping down from residential or we would get referrals from people who were maybe going once a week and that therapist might say, this is like outside my scope and there's too much going on here for us to manage in the one week. So I'm going to recommend intensive outpatient and then come back to me when you're out and we would work with therapists. You know, there was a dialogue between us and the therapist about that. Um, and then we sometimes would have the opposite where somebody maybe came from residential, they came to IOP and we would say they're not ready for IOP. They have to go back to residential. Okay. Interesting. There's so much <laughs> around this. And I feel like, I don't know, you're right. There is so much shame and where people I think are a little more open talking about other either mental illness or mm-hmm. drug or alcohol abuse or use mm-hmm. with food. You're right. There is just so much shame. Um, what are, I guess, my last question, if someone is sort of quote unquote in recovery, but yeah they uh, stressful situation or certain times of year can kind of trigger some of these mm-hmm. thought patterns. Mm-hmm. What recommendations do you have like for that? So Crystal, it seems like the holidays for her are a trigger. She's said that publicly. And so she's going through this December, January period where it mm-hmm. sounds like it's more intense than maybe it was leading into that. Mm-hmm. Support, support, support. As I say, if you have resources that have helped you get into a place where you feel stable and you are feeling triggered, my God, go back to those resources. If there is a therapist that you've worked with, if there is a dietitian that you've worked with, if you are in intensive outpatient and you're not, and you haven't spoken to anyone in a while, and you maybe don't have a relationship, you're not sure, I don't know, call the intensive outpatient, ask if they have referrals. Like reach out is my biggest, biggest suggestion in that. I get clients all the time who I worked with years ago calling me, hey, I'm moving and I'm noticing this is coming up, right? And please call when there is like a dent in the car and it's not totaled. Yeah. Right? Like that is just so – because then we get to start – like that's where it gets so much more um, fulfilling, I think, for clients as well, right? Like, Like let's see all of this work that you've been doing. Let's not throw it all away. Let's recognize that some situations might be more challenging than that, than others. Let's go back to what was working and let's maybe look at what's not. Maybe some tweaks need to be made. You know, sometimes somebody sought treatment, you know, 10 years ago when they were in college and now they are married and working and have kids and things have changed, right? So we might need some adjustments. That's okay. I, what I love to tell people when they come to me is like, this is a relationship and I'm a resource. If someone gets to a point where they don't need to see me, that is fantastic. It's a weird job. That's when my job is done. (laughs) Like I put myself out of a job. Great. I was a success. But call me when you need me. You have my number. You know, if that's a year from now, five years from now, wonderful. Great. 
Like that's the relationship that I want people to be able to have, whether it's with me or somebody else. Right. But like, like that is when we're talking about a continuum, life is a continuum. So these things come up, they come up in weird ways. They come up in different ways. Like find that support that works for you and don't let it go. That doesn't mean you need to be in therapy every single day for the rest of your life, but just know that there are people out there who are a part of that team. However you choose to use them. You know, I have like dietitians that I work with or, or things like that where like there's a team that we build around people and then we're there. Then you know us, great. You know, telehealth has made it infinitely easier. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's that's one of my biggest suggestions to people. And, and I think... That's also where shame comes in, you know, and it's really hard. And even just speaking to like eating disorders and, and how little they're talked about, I will also say I think that is true within the therapeutic community. Oh, interesting. So, so it's like, the reason that uh, I began doing trainings for therapists was because where I did my training, which is like a fantastic training center, and I had a great experience there, there wasn't training about this. Okay. Um, there's not training in medical school about it for doctors. So people will say, oh, go to your doctor. And a very well-meaning doctor, and I've heard this story countless times from clients, will look at someone's weight and be like, well, you seem fine to me. Oh, God. Right? And then they show up in treatment like 10 years later telling me that story. Oh, you know, yeah. I tried. I reached out. I, I, Or I tried to talk to my therapist about it, but we never really got there. Right? So, so work with people who do work in this, they are there, they are out there. Um, I don't do a ton of work with like drug and alcohol, let's say, right? Like that's not really, I can, but it's not really where I spend a lot of my time. So yeah, it comes up occasionally with people, but if someone were to call me and say, this is what I'm dealing with, I'd probably refer out. Mm -hmm. I think often what happens with eating disorders is people don't necessarily call saying that. And so it comes out down the line. And then there's like a scramble or people like kind of don't touch it because they're so afraid of it. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I also think that goes back to just our our conversations within our culture and society around food and weight. And this stuff is triggering for people who are not disordered in any way. Right. No, there is. I feel not triggered, but um, uncomfortable uh, watching the women on Beverly Hills talk about food. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way when I watch the women on Jersey, when I watch the women in Potomac. It's it's something about Beverly Hills. They fixate on it. They joke a lot about it, about like, oh, going to have the bread or like, I don't know. It's just like, why are you guys so obsessed with this? And I know it's because they're in Hollywood and there is this, you know, physique that they're trying to this like standard they're trying to hold themselves to but it's so awkward when Lisa Rinna talks about how she loves to eat a hot dog once a year I don't believe her like is she I mean I don't like to judge people just based on their looks but something about her look and how she is so chronically underweight like just wait for height kind of a thing. It's so I want to go back to that piece yeah. also though, just, and I know we're like in out of time here, but I, I, this, what we started talking about, right. Was like this idea that we all have of an eating disorder or yeah. disorder, right. And what does it look like? And you said, as we were talking, you know, you didn't necessarily look at crystal and think that. Yeah. Right? You looked at jewels and thought that. Yeah. And I think that happens in the medical field as well. Like somebody goes in and they say, I'm struggling with this. And I was told to talk to my doctor. The doctor looks at a number and is like, you seem fine. Right. Um, our weight and our body do not always tell the story. That's a good point. Um, and so I really, I think sometimes people who like, and I'm not speaking to Lisa Rinna, but I think people who like, or more naturally thin, get called out for it, uh -huh. right? Or people who are heavier will get called out for like binge eating, right? We're like, that's not what's going on. And I just, I just, I, I feel a responsibility to say yeah. that. I also want to say there is an enormous amount of both racial and socioeconomic bias within uh -huh. orders. Okay. Uh, all sorts of statistics around that. And so even as a clinician, it's something that like I want clinicians to be aware 
of, because if you're not used to working with eating disorders, let's say, sometimes you're not going to ask certain questions, right? That bias is there. And so they don't always look a certain way. They don't always show up a certain way. And what is ultimately someone's relationship to, like I always say, you know, food, body, and exercise, right? Like what is our relationship to those three things? How did that relationship develop? How is it supported? How is it not supported? Um, And so, you know, Lisa Renna, I look at as someone who just probably has a long relationship to that hot dog. Yes. Probably quite long and, and complicated. Um, do I, do I know that that means anything about her? I can't say. Right. And I go back to it being a thought disorder, right? Because we all have a relationship to food and body and exercise, but how do our thoughts work within that? And we don't know someone else's thoughts. It's just on Beverly Hills. Sometimes I feel like there's a lot of performative eating where Mm -hmm. they act Mm -hmm. like they, it's no big deal to eat junk food or you know, no big deal to have a hot dog. And it's almost like they're trying to convince the viewers that that's how they (laughs) normally eat. And I don't see it on a lot of the other franchises. Well, it's such an interesting point. I mean, I grew up in Southern California and then moved away and then moved back. And so, you know, I think this idea of like how we see that relationship in other franchises, also how that relationship plays in different parts of the country. Yeah. And what is so easy to think of as normal, uh, you know, again, like I, I do live in Southern California and I was, and I grew up here. And so this idea of like, what's normal, um, I think the housewives gives us this window into other cities right. and how very, for, and, and one of the things I, I, I find fascinating about eating is how reflective it is for people of their culture. And that's, I mean, within the U.S., without, you know, internationally, all of that, right? Like there is so much for us wrapped up in food, family, culture. Like there's just, it's filled with everything. Um, it's our connection to so many things. And so, you know, how does Beverly Hills relate over this topic, connect over this topic, right? Like if Lisa Rinna said what she did to the New Jersey women, what would their response be? Like I had a hot dog last night. Like right, exactly, exactly, right. And so, right. like, what's normal? So you know, in quotes, in her group is different than what's normal in another group. And That's so, true. so again, this idea of like, how do we define disordered eating and eating disorders? Like, a lot of that becomes a conversation that I'm having with people together of why they're calling me, why now. That's a big question I ask people. Like, if this has been going on for a long time, why now? I get quite a lot of like. Uh, I'd say like 11, 11 and up of moms calling me saying like, hey, I'm noticing this happening with my daughter or my son. Because mm-hmm. um, again, the part of that misconception of eating disorders that is that it's always female. Um, but like, hey, I'm noticing this happening. And I, 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 I recognize this from when I was younger. And I'm wanting my kid to be able to talk about this more, right? But like, again, just sort of where we are and what our relationship might be and how does that impact, you know, Amelia or whatever, you know, like that next right. You know, Jackie talking about like her kids noticing, you know, yeah. all of these elements. So um, again, I can go on and on about this. This is but. so complicated. Do you think that there's any attempt to try and improve medical education around this? Because there is a, a lot of uh, a lack of understanding, for example, of addiction and uh, alcoholism, you know, and things um, like that in the medical no, community. I don't. I mean, I, I, I haven't. So, you know, I, I think we use a medical model to look at eating disorders. We look at the behaviors and we look at the, at the weight and that's how a physician is trained. Um, I I haven't seen it. It would be incredible. I think that there is some movement towards like bedside manner improving um, that I've been reading about because I did sort of wonder about that. Like that would be really helpful because yeah. I've heard lots of just how I feel like different. screening for depression has become mm-hmm. normalized more in a primary hair healthcare setting where it wasn't even, I would say 10 years ago, I was yeah. never even asked a question, yeah. but now I go in for like an asthma check and they're like, have you contemplated killing yourself? <laughs> like, wow. Okay. You know, but they, I mean, it's, they don't say it that way, but they, there's a screener right. that you, that you do and they go over you know, it. With part you. of the, this training that I, that I 
I haven't read it since COVID, but uh, they used to do is in therapy, we screen people, right? When they come in, we ask them, have they ever thought of hurting themselves? Right. We also ask them about their sleep habits, typically, right? Like these are sort of standard questions that you ask. How's your sleep? How's this? No one ever asks about food. Right. And so that's when they say like, screen for that. Because again, there is so much shame and secrecy around eating disorders. Yes, I do get clients who call me for that. But that's also because like, that's so much of what I work in. I look back in my early training when I was like earning my hours towards my license. I'm like, God, how many times did I miss it? You know, I didn't ask directly. I didn't ask outright about it. And like, I think back on certain people and I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and like, I mean, that shouldn't be happening. You know, like not if you're coming to therapy, like let's. Yeah, because I I do feel screening has improved also for alcohol and drug stuff. Like Mm -hmm. when I was in my early 20s and I finally started going to see a doctor, like primary care, they would Mm -hmm. say, how often do you binge alcohol? You know, how many times you have four or more drinks a week? And that is so normalized in college. And the farther you get away from that, depending on your like life circumstance mm-hmm. that sometimes is like, wow, that doesn't happen as often, or that's a rare occasion. But when it's happening really regularly, or how mm-hmm. often have you blacked out have you, in, in the mm-hmm. last three months that they would ask these questions, right. and I would like have to stop and think. And, you know, it, and for some of like a group of my friends, a lot of us kind of moved on from college and the kind of partying atmosphere. And then there was like a couple people who didn't and one person who like really held on to it mm-hmm. and kept on making it seem like it was normal. And we started like noticing patterns of like, oh, mm-hmm. this isn't, this doesn't seem to be working for you mm-hmm. anymore, you know, and trying to understand mm-hmm. how do you be a friend to someone who may be dealing with alcohol and drug issues yeah. that, you know, and without being judgmental or pushy or acting like you knew the answer it's really challenging I never thought about it from the perspective of eating disorders because in my adult life I don't know many people who've opened up to me that they've struggled with them Mm -hmm. but I'm Mm -hmm. sure so many did and when I was younger I knew people who like in high school or in college struggled and they would open up that that happened back then but Mm -hmm you know, you, you don't know, is that like a lifelong struggle? Is that something that they're, well, eating disorders are so tricky too. They, I mean, someone, you know, could have, you know, experienced some of it in high school. Maybe there's like a little flirtation and then maybe five years later it comes back. And so I partly wondered, you know, on the show when you've seen it sort of like touched on in these moments, like it may be that in that moment, someone's like, I got it. I solved it. It hasn't happened in a while. I'm doing okay. Right. And then it comes back and it's like, oh, no, it happened again. You know, and like, again, yeah. it's like that shame. Right. Like I, I didn't solve it. And so that's partly where I wonder, like, again, like we're talking about something in lifetime. And it's not, you know, the Kyle situation where like, OK, this is years ago. You've got it under wraps. But like, clearly you feel far away from this. But when someone's in it, how are you? You know, how are they? What? Where are they at? in that, you know, maybe they like haven't purged. And so they're like, great, it's all taken care of. Um, To me in working with people, if you're not asking about food, like you're not doing your job because if someone's coming in and telling me they don't sleep or they're depressed or they're anxious, like even if they don't have disordered eating, their food is still going to be a part of that. Are they telling me why candy all day long? Because that's going to impact someone's anxiety if you're hopped up on sugar. Right. Right. So there's all these pieces. I mean, if people are depressed and they're not eating because they're too depressed to make a meal, like I, I have to know that. Right. So again, we're, we're just talking about like self care. And so it doesn't have to be from a disordered standpoint, but hey, how's your sleep? How's your eating? Are you able to like get outside? Yeah. You know, if someone's very depressed or, or is this someone who has an exercise addiction and is, you know, exercising for four hours a day? And that, but maybe they're coming in and telling me, I don't see my friends or I'm not social, but they're not telling me that they're spending like half, or they're not going out because they have to go to the gym. Right. So again, it's like, if you're not asking those questions, you're not getting the full picture of what you need to get. Um, this is so interesting and so helpful. And thank you for 
highlighting and reminding us that there's not a single like look or type of person who struggles from this stuff. And thank you I, so much for asking these questions. Yeah, I Honestly, think I appreciate your curiosity <laughs> and interest in it. I definitely um, notice my own bias, like against like, you know, certain like, I just yeah. assume certain women that are really thin, for whom comments have been made on these shows must have some sort of issue. And you know, that's just my own bias, you know, from it an idea of what it looks like. But I feel like I've, you've helped me open my eyes to <laughs> <laughs> that it is it is pervasive, it is common in our society, and it doesn't like look or feel or act in one particular way. Well, I just to speak to that, I think it's okay and normal to have a bias. I think a lot of us have that right. We just don't want to act from that bias. Right. Right. And so it's just like, I again, I appreciate your being willing to be aware of that and to acknowledge it, be like, oh, wow, okay. Like, you know, it's like we say this, at, or I say this in therapy, like you have to like leave it outside of the room, yeah. right? Like I might have my own like bias or ideas about life in my in my own life or what my values are, but my values aren't somebody else's. My right. opinions aren't somebody else's. And I, that's one thing I love about my job. I get to leave all my own ideas outside. Like I'm in my own head all the time. I get bored of it. You know, I get to go in and sort of get to know somebody else's world. And that for me is really interesting. Um, but, you know, I think I think we all have a bias. And it's if we're willing to be open enough to um, challenge that a little bit or just to notice those uncomfortable feelings in ourselves. And is that is my reaction to this coming from my own feelings, my own ideas around this, my own stuff? Um, or is it actually what's in front of me? Totally. Um, to kind of conclude, is there any sort of resources you would like to share with people or kind of final things you would like them to know? Um, let me think for a second. Uh, resources wise, um, NIDA is a great website, National Eating Disorder Association. They have tons of resources. Um, I use it all the time for like great statistics and research around things. I do want to acknowledge that I think it can freak people out quite a bit, um, especially sort of like a subclinical disordered eating client might be like, whoa, like I don't identify with this. This is too much for me. So I just kind of want to say that. Like I still think it's a wonderful resource. Um, and I think terms around mental health can be scary to people. Um, so, you know, just, to, it just to sort of like acknowledge that, like, it's okay to still go on the site and maybe find something useful from it that works for you. Um, that would be sort of the biggest thing. Like, don't let the, the search terms freak you out too much. Okay. That's a good, that's a good point, you know? So I, I find like, there's like, there's also the National Association for Mental Illness. And I think like, they also have great resources, but the title just really freaks people out. Like. Right. No one wants to go on it. It's like, oh, am I mentally ill? It's like, it just has good good info. Right. No, it's and they always... name. Uh, at the end of a bunch of these episodes, they keep having the hotline for eating disorders. It's like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? It's like... Uh, yeah, I know. Like, well, that was funny too, because they've had it in a few where like it wasn't really mentioned. Where, right. Like, really stuck that in there. They, they definitely, I think, are trying to do right by it, but it's just... I, I do appreciate the effort, yeah. Yeah, it's like they can't produce it or change how it came how it was discussed on the show yeah they can't uh, like edit it to make it like look different like they guess they can but it is it's clumsy it's uncomfortable and I feel like that's how people are around these topics they're they don't and had Jackie been more forthcoming with her cast members how do we know that they wouldn't have had similar reactions you know absolutely so um, I feel like we've all learned a lot <laughs> about ourselves and about, you know, just these issues. And um, I think for anyone yeah. struggling, just because you asked me like, any like sort of last thoughts, I would say I'm just thinking, I think the biggest thing I would say is like, it's okay to struggle. And it's okay to like have these challenges. And no one wants to be struggling. It's not a place anyone wants to be in. Um, but you don't have to do it all by yourself. You don't have to hold it up alone. If you've sought treatment and it wasn't helpful or effective, that doesn't mean that it can't be. That doesn't mean that there's either you're at a different time in your life or there's other people out there who maybe it's okay to say like, this isn't the right person to work with or something about this wasn't working for me. Um, It's okay to talk about that. It's another thing. Like I ask people when they've come to me, if they've 
previously saw treatment. What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Um, right. And so again, just, I mean, as much as I can say that is like, there's no shame in the game, you know, <laughs> like get the help you need and, and reach out. And I do really appreciate like Crystal, Jackie, all these women who have gone on there and put their vulnerability out there oh, on a yeah. topic that is so taboo and so hard to talk about and so clumsy, like you said. And I hope that there's people out there realizing that, that like, it's okay. And it's hard. Um, and I hope they don't get some of the responses that Crystal has gotten from her castmates. But, I know. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of the last thing I would say is, is yeah. And just because people react in a way that's not ideal doesn't mean that they don't care. It just that's probably on them and not you. Yeah. They, maybe they don't know. And that's what I was like, why I reached out to you. I was like, I don't even know the right terms to use to discuss this, let alone why would these women know, you know? And, and if you're talking to a friend and you don't know, like come from a place of not knowing. Yeah. Right. It's like okay I want to help you and I don't know. I don't know what to say and I don't know how. And I want to help you. And that's it. Yep. That's right. really good so, advice. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa, for, for you, being Mary. on this podcast and for doing this sort of deep dive into <laughs> this topic with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you again for being so interested in it. Yeah. And I'm will- here for any other questions. <laughs> we will talk soon. All right.